Nice. How's it going, everyone? The uh, Midnight Trade is here with uh, Mike Kroger, bass player for Nickelback, and once again, our good friend Pat Militich, UFC Hall of Famer, and uh, he just arrived on his trade right now, so welcome <laughs> to have you back. Yeah, sorry, sorry, man, that, you know, I live right by the river, the Mississippi River, and there's a railroad track goes on the other side of the both. There's, there's a real old highway that I'm on, and then the big highway, which is just a, a two-laner. Anyway, that's where all the trains go. So, sorry. I love it. No, all good. So, how you guys been with uh, – obviously, I've talked to you before, Pat, on here through COVID, but hopefully you guys are doing well. Your sanity's trying to kind of stay intact. Go ahead, Michael. So far, so good. Uh, yeah, like I was – like we were talking about before, you know, um, we, we got things going here. I – I had a major spinal surgery three weeks ago, so I'm um, I'm kind of you know I'm kind of down a little bit right now, recovering on that um, stuff, and uh, so that's that's given me a, a good focus, uh, you know, just a focus on the pain and, and getting better and trying to walk around and move around as much as I can and, and using this opportunity of downtime to to get get uh, stronger. What what part of your spine? What part of your spine? The lumbar. Or- uh, I did two sites actually. We did um, uh, uh, a complete disc replacement of uh, C5-6 and C6-7. And then we did a complete disc replacement of L4-5. And then we did a uh, fusion of L5-S1. Wow. Wow. So I, got a, I got a zipper in my neck here and, and one in my belly. They do everything from the front, which is really cool. Wow. Yeah, no, my C5 and C6. C6 and C7 fused together on their own. Oh, you got that natural thing. Okay, that's good. Good for you. The, the doctors, when I originally heard it, said that I had to, have, had to have surgery. It was mandatory. I went to a couple different surgeons, and they all said the same thing. Then I went to my cousin at John Hopkins, and he looked at my MRIs and said, I'm an idiot. I have to have surgery. And I didn't do it, and it, it did what they would have done anyway, fused together on its own. Is that what you were you were looking at fusion? Yeah, because the 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 some of the, the the like the guy I met here in the in the spinal surgeon I know over in Oz who who does this shit on the on the cutting edge kind of stuff. They're doing these complete replacements with these titanium discs that uh, actually you get more range of motion than than the original equipment. It's fucking crazy. Wow, that's incredible. Well, yeah, this happened so long ago that right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I didn't I didn't get that I didn't get that benefit. Yeah, yeah, I guess I waited long enough. Mike, so I guess we can jump into it. As a bass player, obviously, I don't think people realize when you're jumping around stage with a bass that can weigh how much does normal bass weigh in the years of doing it, the wear and tear of your body. is. Did you come to a point where you're kind of like, man, like, when did you realize that there actually is wear and tear in your body? A long time ago. <laughs> uh, you know, um, it, the, uh, it, you know, maybe it's just me, but... Um, <clears throat> I think I started off with a relatively weak body in the beginning and um, you know, I never really was that physical in my younger years. And then as we started doing this, coincidentally, I became more physical and more interested in, in violence and, and exercise and, as well as, you know, playing more and more. And my body just did start breaking down, you know, there, the, the estimates are probably that, that this, you know, thing has been on fire for about 20 years. You know, right. like I've, I've had these problems, uh, you know, because I, I had all these you know, all these conditions in my body that I couldn't understand why they were not getting better. You know, my hands felt like they're on fire all the time. My wrists and forearms were all fucked up all the time. My elbows, biceps, triceps were always really bad. And, and you know, and, and also my shoulders and, and my, my upper back were weird, too. And, you know, we tr- I treat, you know, I got the, of course, all the smartest people around that, you know, are working on me. And then it just you know how it works. You meet the right person and, and the right person kind of knows you. And I met a guy who was like, you know, this is all your neck, right? And I was like, what do you mean? This is all my neck. And he goes, all those conditions, all these problems you have are in your neck. You should go and look in your neck. You stop yeah. looking in your arms and your hands, look in your neck. And and then we did. And, and you know, it, it, it became abundantly clear through some testing that's, you know, like an EMG test, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Pat. It, it's just delicious where they put the electric needles in your nerves and uh, see how they're working. That's just beautiful. But it does <laughs> tell a real story. It really lets you know what's going on. It, you know, it really inspects your wiring. And for you, Pat, how do you um, – obviously, you've been injured and you fought through injuries. But at what point did you kind of realize that, hey, I should probably step back and get this kind of handled? Well – 
what happened to me was, and I, of course, over the years, you know, I've had neck injuries and other injuries, you know, training, but I was training to fight Frank Trigg and I got hit with a bomb left hook out of nowhere. We were kind of warming up and the guy that I was sparring with had re he's a really heavy handed guy. And out of nowhere, he cranked up a left hook on me and my neck crunched. Um, oh. And so I, so I took a step back and my left arm dropped and it wouldn't work. And so I said, um, I said to him, I said, let's pick it up the next round. Cause I was, I was pissed. I, I was, I was really angry. And so I rifled him with like six right hands right in a row, right off the bat in the third round and crushed his nose and he had to have surgery. But my left side of my body atrophied. The muscles wouldn't work. Um, and I went and started to get, you know, get the MRIs and have different doctors look at them. And I just have, I swore to myself that if I didn't have to, I would never get cut on. So I rehabbed and rehabbed and rehabbed. I went to, uh, Dr. Dave Juring at Palmer college of chiropractic, and he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff with me, putting me up my body on its side in weird positions and then giving putting pressure points on me and making me move certain ways that were really awkward to try and get new neural pathways started right and wake my neural my, my nervous system up and i just kept i kept uh, rehabbing you know um kairos um my own i built a uh i built a a, a traction device i took a, a traction device that i bought at a medical device place and i replaced all of the the weak rope on it with paracord and then i could put a carabiner on it and hook it onto a lat pull down machine and then pull the weight down and just rest my legs underneath the, the, the braces. And I could totally relax and let my neck stretch and do that with like 20 pounds type stuff. Because throwing a bag of water over a door on a, uh, isn't going to work for my neck. <laughs> you know, my neck's not going to. So that's the sort of stuff that I was doing. And uh, I've been able to get it back. My, I got hurt one more time. And my right arm is now about an inch and a half smaller than my left. But I mean, I can still, I can still do everything pretty much that I used to be able to do. How hard is it to come back from – I know you hear pictures with Tommy John or someone like Anderson Silva that had that terrible injury and surgery. Does, does a fighter or an athlete or a, a musician – I mean, I can think of uh, musicians that get fall off stages and come back. They, they're kind of, there's something off about them. Is it that, that injury where – that mental hurdle where it's like, man, I'm no longer invincible? Is that part of that? Cervical spine injuries for, for athletes that are – getting punched or football players or whatever. I, I was never the same mentally. I was never that guy, even though I did a fight. It wasn't Michael Nunn and I, M Michael, who was one of the best, uh, probably for four years, I think he was the best pound for pound boxer in the world. He and I've been friends for years. We did a fight over the summer. Um, you know, I was, I was nervous going into it, but I rehabbed my neck like crazy. The big pull-up band, the pull-up assist bands, loop that around something and then put it around your head. And it grips, so you can do all the rotation stuff and everything you want to do. So it, I built my neck up. He hit me with an uppercut right early in the fight, and I went, "Okay, I'm good. I'm 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 good. It didn't hurt. Nothing nothing bothered me." But I was really never I was never the same guy after the neck injury. And now, Mike, is there a fear with you jumping back on stage in front of the crowds again, where it's like, is there like a, a an added nervousness on your end where you might not move the same? I mean, you're not a guy that's jumping around, running around like crazy, but yeah. You do have that. I, I don't know. I don't, I've never really uh, felt really challenged playing live physically. You know, it's like, it's, ne I'm, I'm never the guy like laying on the ground backstage gasping for air at the end of the show. I, I'm a little fitter than that. You know, I, I can handle this thing. And the same goes for strength as well. It, it, I, I don't, no, I don't have any real concerns. I mean, we'll see how it goes over the coming months. You know, when I move it, you know, just. You know, just uh, about a week ago, I was I was in the shower, and you know how you get water in your ear. Yep. You move your head to the side. Like, well, I did that after you know ten days post off, and I was like, oh shit, don't do that. that you know, that, your neck's fucking brand new. Like, don't do that. That's bad. And then wow. I realized it's like it didn't hurt though. Like it it actually was fine. So I, I think there's going to be moments like that where it moves in certain ways. My neck and back move in certain ways, and I'm, I, I'll be a little tentative. But, you know, as soon as I get back on the mat and stuff and start to actually strain it and, and work on it, that, that'll tell. You know, when I start doing jiu-jitsu again, that'll tell a lot as, as far as neck and back go, for sure. Right. Yeah. Love it. Well, so it's like when people, when, when people get me in any kind of compromising position with my neck, 
I just I just tap. I just don't even mess around with it. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to like hang on through a neck crank anymore, do you? Yeah, you, you not so much. How far that goes. <laughs> you get a fucking twister or something on you. You don't want to see how far you can go. Or no, because no. I used to hang on through that shit and, and just you know see how strong the guy was versus how flexible I am. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll do that anymore. <laughs> That's a bit of masochism there. A little bit. <laughs> at, at what point did you guys kind of find like that love of? I mean, obviously with Pat. It's a little bit different because I, I was talking to you before, but like it, when you guys found the the concept of eating healthy and uh, you, like people could stay fit and be fit. And I know the cool thing with Mike, I think it was 2017. We we're at the, I think the Iowa state fair, they had those guys in those chipmunk costumes, but we, we had done a whiskey walkthrough kind of tour like the day before the show. Yeah. And Mike had got a ton of this whiskey and different, whatever. But around 3 p.m., he went over the radio, hey, guys, I'm emptying my – all the booze on my bus is outside my bus. Come grab what you want. I don't want it anymore. And at the time, I'm kind of like, oh, Mike's just going through, like, whatever. He doesn't want that shit on his bus because it was a lot of whiskey. A lot. And, and it was really good, too. Three Rivers is awesome. But you actually <laughs> kind of stopped drinking right there. So what yeah. led you to that moment to kind of make that health, like, that change? Uh, you know, I, I – I remember what happened. It was so just prior to that, we were on a break. And um, I remember the last show before the break, I, I had a few drinks, you know, I, I would, I, I just love gin and tonic, right? So I'd have a few gin and tonics on the stage uh, during the show and typically get a little glow on and, and then have a cool one at the end of the night, you know, just to unwind or whatever. And by the end of the night, I'd be a little loose, you know, have a little bit of a, a buzz or whatever. No big deal usually. But the next morning when I woke up to go on that break to fly home, I was battered. It, I had never felt like that before. It, it, you know, I felt like ill, like unwell, like I needed a paramedic almost. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a uh, it wasn't any kind of, um, any kind of uh, hangover like I'd ever felt before. It was it was debilitating. You know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to get up from my chair in the in the in the waiting lounge in the airport. Wow. Plane. You know, and, and thankfully I, I was able to get home. But then I, <laughs> I did get home and I had to go see my doctor here in, in in L.A. And you know, he just said to me, he goes, you know, you're just drinking is not for you. Like you know, looking at your at your your health, like this is not you know, something you should do. And, and I just said, are you, you telling me to quit drinking? And he's like, he's like, yeah. And I just said, okay, well, I just, I just did. And he goes, what do you mean? Wow. Well, I haven't drank for a couple of days. I'm just not going to start again. And you know, that was two years ago. I, I just, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, I liked it. Like, you know, that stuff, when we went to three rivers over there in, uh, in Fort Wayne, that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, that, that totally great booze too. Like nice folks, great booze. Uh, you know, and, and it kind of did hurt me a little bit to give that away because it was, it was kind of amazing guys. Like, you know, John, I know you witnessed this, but it was like, I, I rounded up all the alcohol on my bus. Right. And the crew was all working on site. We were at a venue. We were getting ready to, to get, to get a show going. And, and the crew was, was all working or, or in various states of working, you know, it comes in waves and there's times when guys are idle or whatever. Um, but, uh, I remember when it went over the radio, I was like, hey, everybody, uh, free booze in front of Mike's bus. Like, I had taken everything out of my bus, put it in bags and boxes in the front of the bus, right? And then I went back on my bus and I made the call, you know, that it was, there was free booze up there. And I remember I put the radio down and then I walked out to the front of the bus to meet the guys who were going to come for the stuff. It was all gone. All gone. Everything's gone. It didn't, it didn't make it uh, two minutes. I still have pictures wow. of it. Me and Marty have pictures of it. We were <laughs> laughing. <laughs> yeah. You know, then if you want to get rid of some alcohol, uh, I tell you, that's a, that's a great way to But do it. it is cool, though, that you're able to kind of put yourself at, like, take care of yourself and really respect your body that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I like drinking. Uh, it, it's fun, and, and I have a blast doing it. But it, it just, at, at a point, I think it, it, hopefully, you know, for people, it gets to a point where you realize you're, you know, the, the, the cost benefit analysis, you know, what does it give me versus what does it take away from me? And I was realizing that it was taken away from me more than it was given. Me. You know, it just wasn't worth it anymore. But how about you, Pat? If, like when you're trading and stuff, do you, is there kind of like a thing where you could do what you want, but you have to put the time to make up for what you lose or how do you guys? Well, I, I, ha I had to quit drinking because 
I have, you know, for me, number one, I'm Croatian. So we have a propensity (laughs) to be a little crazy. Um, I mean, there's a reason that in 1593, the Ottoman Empire was stopped in its tracks in Sisset, Croatia, bro. <laughs> like we're intense people, and I'm a, I, so that that's one thing. And uh, you know, the the thing is, is just, uh, uh, I mean, I'm a guy that I, I'm balls to the wall with everything I do. Like I'm a hundred percent in. So me drinking is like, yeah, no. And my and and the biggest. Yeah, and the biggest thing for me is, is I don't get hangovers. Like I could drink. You have no idea how much I can drink, and I'll wake up the next day and not a headache. My stomach's not upset. I could go wrestle for four hours straight, um, and just and so, the, I, I, the you know, so it's just not. Yeah, dude, it's uh, I'm 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 not made for. It. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I had that. I had that condition when I was younger, actually. I because I um. I actually started my drinking career in my late teens because I, it turns out I got quite a bit of Irish in my background. Speaking of, yeah. uh, you, know, and, 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 you know, that, that saying that they say that, uh, that, uh, um, why God invented whiskey is to make sure the Irish wouldn't take over the world. <laughs> it's working to this day, you know, but, uh, um, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it just, it, it, when I was younger, when I was in my later, later teens, um, and I started, you know, where, where I grew up, it was legal to drink at 18. Right. So, um, that, you know, and I was drinking long before that, but then we would play the, you know, I was starting to play rock shows and stuff in my 18, 19, 20, uh, uh, you know, and I remember I played a show on new year's Eve, uh, and when I was 19 years old and, and got paid in cash and I got, I got given more money than I'd ever seen, you know, it was like five grand or something like that i'd never seen that much money in my life and i was basically homeless i had nobody to worry about nothing to do except for take care of myself and be selfish and i just went on kind of a rampage binge and um it it culminated with me waking up in a you know one moment i was in a rehearsal and the next moment i woke up in a hospital and and you know and there and i you know you you wake up in a hospital like what happened and and i i had had a, a grand mal seizure epileptic seizure and um dropped and then they brought me into the hospital. And then, right then and there, I quit drinking until I was uh, 29 or 28 or 29. Pretty much my whole 20s, I didn't drink. Just because, like what you're saying about no half measures and, you know, uh, balls to the wall and all that. I'm a similar type yeah. of character. I don't I don't go partway into anything. So this is my second sort of um, try at, at not drinking anymore. And I, I really don't honestly think I'm going to go back to it. I, I had a little bit of curiosity of whether I could do it or not. And. You know, I and I was way better. You know, I wasn't like doing what I was doing before, or smashing up cars or whatever. But uh, um, you know, it, it wasn't good either. It, I was a little bit more more measured in my approach, but still was too much. Would you have, like say someone like Matt Hughes or Jeds or Tim Silver coming into the your training academy, Pat? Was there ever a time, or it doesn't have to be them, but fighters that want to buy into your system? What if if they were partiers or they're kind of crazy in that type of sense where they just want to let loose? Is it tough to train those type of people, or do you kind of have to set parameters if they want to use your system? Most of the most of the guys weren't like that at all. I mean, you know, go out and have some drinks after their fights type thing, celebrate a little bit, and then it was back in the gym. So I really didn't have to deal with that stuff. The one thing that I tried to do was, you know, because I growing up a wrestler and hanging out with wrestlers, you, you have a tendency to – have no problem when somebody tried to fight you. Right. And, right. and so before I was a professional fighter, you know, in like in college in wrestling, like we beat up half the Iowa state football team. I threw, I threw a, an all American linebacker, Mike Knox threw a plate glass window out of the restaurant and then went outside and beat him up more. So, you know, that's the sort of thing that I always, I, I would always say is listen guys. So now, now that you're part of a team, you know, we have to, we have to, you know, watch what we do because number one, you guys are very dangerous and you can kill somebody. And two, you know, you're, you're wearing the team now on, on your back. So you, you can't be going out beating up the townies, right? That's not, that's not cool. And there's, trust me, uh, there were plenty of people who'd be willing to fight you around here because <clears throat> hell in the little town of Bettendorf, Iowa, even when I was the UFC champ, I was like the 20th toughest guy in town. Right. My town, my town has a bunch of animals in it. I mean, yeah. it really does. Yeah. And so, uh, but like, you know, like one time, um, 
three of my fighters, Mike Sesnilevich, uh, Roy Markham, and Ben Rothwell. They all went out one night, and when they were leaving, um, there were some guys that, that were harassing some ladies outside the bar. And Ben Rothwell said, hey, guys, leave the ladies alone. And he was actually very polite about it. The other guys said, yeah, man, Ben was trying to be cool about it. And these guys um, decided that, that as Mike and, and Rory and Ben got in their vehicle to leave, these guys had already gotten their vehicle and pulled up and blocked them into their parking spot. So they couldn't get away. And so now you got Ben Rothwell, who's 290 pounds, 6'5", Roy Markham, who's a, a striking machine, and Big Mike Sesnilevich, who's a 230-pound monster All-American wrestler and a black belt in jiu-jitsu who can pull your head off your body. And so these, these, these guys decide that they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna beat these guys up. So um, <clears throat> they basically made real quick work of them. And Mike, Mike Sesnilevich goes, dude, I didn't even get out of the vehicle, and these guys were all sleeping. I mean, just out, destroyed. And, and two of them got finished with simultaneous head kicks. Oh, and so the cops, the cops came, the cops came, and, and the dad, actually it was the Davenport cops that told me about this. Cause I trained, trained the Davenport cops quite a bit. So the cop goes, yeah, he goes, I got them in the back of the car and I'm looking at their licenses. All of them. I got, he goes, I got a guy from Wisconsin, a guy from Pennsylvania and a guy from Chicago. He goes, are you guys here training with Pat? And they go, yes, sir. And he goes, okay. He goes, so how do you want to spin this? <laughs> and they go he goes the cop goes uh, so you guys uh, you, you, you they confronted you they attacked you you defended yourself and, and they're like yeah that's actually what happened right so anyway then the, the, there's another police officer walking around with one of these guys in the parking lot with a flashlight and Ben Rothwell goes oh sir he goes are they saying we had weapons he goes no man they're looking for their teeth yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. Poor guys, but you know, I love that. So to get what you asked for, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know, Pat. We talked about the uh, before, like with COVID, how UFC has been kind of doing this bubble and fight island stuff. But from a mental aspect, is it tougher to fight in front of no one? And for Mike, is it tough to put on your show if there is no one watching or affect people in the crowd? Like, where's the mental? Like, what's the difficulty doing that with no fans? Uh, fights are easy. Fights are easy because somebody's trying to kick your ass. Okay. I, I yeah. can't. I, I can't imagine trying to play a concert with nobody there. Yeah, yeah. The, I would think that it would be just. It would be a lot more like live sparring, hundred percent. You know, in, in fighting, not necessarily. Um, you know, worse or whatever. But yeah, with a rock show, it, it definitely is. Is you know, there's a there's a fluidity to what we do. We know what's going to happen. You know, and and it can be a little weird when there's no one in there. If you're just playing to cameras or something like that, it's pretty right. odd. And, and we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of feedback from the audience, you know, and you feel it and drives you to, to go harder and, and do more and do better. So without those fans, it's, it's I don't think it works as good. You know, I think a lot of sports that, you know, can be seen on television are, are good. Uh, um, but as far as like rock shows go, I think it's going to be kind of compromised. I don't think it's quite as good. Interesting. Yeah, I'm always curious because when you see, like, especially UFC now, all this, even the walkout music with the live bands and the pyro, like, there's something about it that you don't have the reaction when every time someone throws a bomb or a kick. It's just, I'm always just kind of curious about that. Well, calling, calling, I've been calling fights for quite a while now during all of this. Right. And I've got to be quiet because normally I'm analyzing <laughs> and saying what one guy should be doing and what the other one is doing right and things like that. And so I have to be quiet. And I, we actually had some people on Twitter going, hey, man, I wish you'd speak up a little bit, you know, act excited. I go, I can't. It's like giving instructions to these yeah, guys. Coaching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah coaching. so, you know. He needs to get his head to the other side. And then you can yeah. get that complete information on, you know. Yeah. So if you, hear my, if you hear my voice go up, I got paid by somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Does, watch, does calling those fights give you an urge to get back out there again? Or no, you, not you, at all. Okay. Not at all. I mean, when I fought Michael Nunn this summer in the kickboxing match, you know, I mean, I did that to launch my internet pay-per-view company. Yeah. I, have no de I have no desire to get punched in the face. And I told Mike that. He goes, are you planning on fighting after this? I go, dude, I don't even want to do this. <laughs> I'm just doing this to launch my internet pay-per-view company. Right. Love it. 
Mike, how did you get down into the BJJ world? Is that something you've always kind of, kind of dabbled in, or was there like a like a catalyst that kind of made you want to pick that art? You know, I can't really remember what happened. Um, somehow, I got introduced to somebody at the um, Carlson Gracie School on the island of Maui. Uh, and I don't know how that happened. I can't remember who took me in there in the first place, but I, I did go in and, oh, I remember now I was taking my son in first. That's right. I was taking my son in to train and then, and then I got hooked. Uh, and, and from there, it's just, it's just been all fun with uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You know, now I, I train with Higa Machado here in Hollywood and, or in, he, he's in Beverly Hills, not far from my house, but uh, I've trained all around the world with people. And I, I just, I love it. I, I love getting on the mat with people wherever I can, whenever I can, you know, no matter what, wherever I am. Because there's so many, so many great people out there to learn from, you know? So it, it, in almost every city in the world, there's a, there's a high level person that you can learn something new from. Right. How, how many years have you been doing jujitsu now, Michael? Uh, it's been on and off for, for several, uh, really only on for real for about the last year and a half. And okay. You know, the, the trouble is my music career kind of screws up my timing. So I, yeah. I can't really get the required amount on the math that I need to do when I'm on tour. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. It's just really, really hard to do, you know, yeah, I mean, hell yeah. to be at home to do that. And, and thankfully, you know, I've had a long enough break and, and, you know, before, before COVID came to get us, I was doing really well and getting on the mat, you know, several times a week and, and getting going. And, you know, I, I wear the blue belt now and I was on my way, you know, getting, getting things going, but uh, it's just stopped me completely now. It's around here. You know, I don't feel safe training here. There's too many people. <laughs> For you, Pat, do you still like would you kind of show up like obviously you might be the center of attraction per se but do you still have a rush of if you're in a certain town to trade or at least talk with someone that you kind of hold a hot like hold a high standard you know what i like to do to be honest with you is i i'll stop in every once in a while in like a martial arts school and just sit down and watch right just be just be a fly on the wall and observe you know how they teach teaching techniques um, you know, are they good with kids? You know, that sort of stuff. My, my favorite thing to do by far is to teach. And I love teaching kids. I, I love, absolutely love teaching kids and, uh, and law enforcement and military as well. Um, and so I just like I like to watch, I mean, I'll get in and work out with people a little bit. I beat on the heavy bag still. I do, you know, functional fitness type stuff and things like that for, for my workouts, but I don't get in and get, like get crazy anymore just because i don't want to end up raising my kids in a, from a wheelchair no yeah, you, that's, you've done right. enough but you, you you put enough uh round time good. <laughs> <laughs> i still you know the main thing for me is staying in shape um and being able to throw punches be able to move correctly things like that in case i have to defend myself or defend my family and and that's really that's kind of where it's at and i'm look i wrestled since i was five years old i can still wrestle pretty good Right. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to push that. Uh, Mike, you actually kind of trade with Eric the Trainer and Billy Blanks. So yeah. working with guys like that, like how has that been for you for your kind of mental health? Well, beyond everything, really, those those guys have become my really good friends. You know, Eric the Trainer has become like a brother to me, and Billy Blanks is like he's like Uncle Billy now. And um, so, you know, I just I, I love these guys, but they, they've given me a, a real community. You know, like I've learned I've learned uh, that that I have a really really positive uh, community here in Los Angeles. So not just those guys, but a whole bunch of friends that come along with them. You know, just this whole um, sort of gym cult, you know, group that that we all hang out together and, and see each other socially as well as in the gym. It's great. Love that. To kind of step back, I remember uh, when last time we were in Philly with you guys years ago, uh, Renzo Gracie came to the show. Oh, yeah. And, the, yeah. and he was like, hey, here's my number. If you're ever in town, let me know. Well, I was there last summer with Shinedown. I texted him the morning of it. Hey, man, I'm at the show if you want to come out. Like literally 20 minutes before these guys in the deck, he goes, hey, I'm backstage. Yeah. And I'm like, do you need help get in? He goes, oh, no, I talked my way back here. And I'm like, one, okay, two, I, this, you pro I, I'd love to be a final wall hearing this guy talk to some local security guy. Uh, yeah, they all know who he is. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the thing is, is like the venue it, you're talking about is actually, um, it's the PNC Amphitheater in yep. New Jersey. See, he lives like, he lives like a quarter of a mile away from there. 
Like it's a light walk to his home from there. So he, he know everybody knows him and he knows everybody right there in, in Homedale. Like he's, he's fairly famous guy aside from the, you know, from the martial arts world there, everybody knows him. He's big in the community and everybody loves him. I mean, that's what happened when we played there, when I invited him out, I told him, Hey man, let me know when you want to come and I'll leave your name at the, at the gate with the security. And then I came out of my bus and the car was parked by my bus. I'm like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I, I know all these guys. He's, he's, like, yeah. you know? he's, a, he's a very, very fun guy. He's turned into a real dear friend. En Enzo's a hell of a guy. Really love him. Now, yeah. Pat, can you touch on, is there actual drama between the Shadow family and the Gracie, or is that something that was kind of manufactured at the beginning? You know what? I, I have never even really asked about any of that stuff. Um, I thought maybe there was some right friction friction for a while between maybe the Gracie cousins or something, but I haven't really. And the Machados are great people. I, I love the Machados. They've always been really nice to me. I've always gotten along with the Gracie family really well. So you know, besides the besides the fact that you know, I, I've never seen a crowd almost. It was it was kind of a sad moment actually um, when Matt fought Hoyce in L.A. And, and dismantled him like he did. Um, it was it was kind of, I mean, obviously I'm rooting for my fighter, but it yep. was a, the entire crowd was just crushed. I mean, it, it like ripped their souls out. And, you know, the funny thing is, is we had done a movie previously with a Paul Walker film in Mexico, myself and a bunch of guys from my camp. And uh, we played bad guys in the movie, whatever, right? And so we became real good friends with Paul Walker a lot of the stunt guys, things like that. So Paul Walker was training with, I believe, the Gracies at the time. And he, he trained so, with, uh, with my guy, Hegan. He, he, he trained with Hegan Machado, yeah. Oh, did he? Okay. So he, yeah. he was a big fan. He was rooting for Hoist, and, and some of the actors that were there with him were rooting for Hoist. Yeah. But all the stunt guys, the blue-collar guys, are rooting for Matt, right? And they're in the row <laughs> right in front. They're in the row right in front of Paul and all of his buddies. And I turn around <clears throat> at the end of the fight. And I see all the stunt guys, Oakley, Lemon, and all his buddies are all standing on their chairs freaking out. And Paul and his buddies are just going, oh, my God, like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, so, but, um, you know, besides that. And then it was, it was, uh, so, but it was just a better athlete who was highly trained, much stronger, much faster. A guy that wrestled was a four-time All-American D1 wrestler. I mean, th that kind of animal you just don't. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to do very well against unless yeah, you are really, right. really, really, really ready to go and strong and everything else. Yeah, yeah, that was the yeah, that was a special time. I I don't know anything about that about the beef between the Gracies and the Machados. I know that there's sort of always little skirmishes in the family, you know, usually over territory. Uh, but that you know. That, that, that's going to come with, with anything. But that, uh, all I hear from them, you know, the, the, the ones that I speak with, uh, I see nothing but compliments uh, about each other. No, no, you know, they're, they're still, a, it, it might be one of those situations like nobody picks on my little brother but me because, you know, one of those, right. if, you, if, you, if you, you know, target one Gracie or one Machado, you're getting all of them. They, they're, they're all coming for you. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're still a family very much so. Right. I know, Mike, sometimes after shows, we would get the dressing room like we watched the big fight. I think we watched the Conor McGregor fight against yeah. – uh, God, who would he knock out? <laughs> the guy had like 30 seconds and was talking smack. But either way, like there's always that rush, whether it's box, boxing or MMA. What is it about that fight where it kind of brings everyone together? You might not be a fan, per se, of the sport, but you have to watch it. Is it because it, it's two males or females at the top of the game going at it? Or is it the primal instinct at all of us? I don't know. I guess it depends. I, I think Pat probably has a reason for, for loving it. And I have a reason for loving it. But but for me, it's like it's one of the purest forms of sport because either either competitor can win at any time. That's what I love about it is, right. that, you know, no matter what skill level or training or whatever, you can put, you know, somebody well overmatched in their training against somebody else. And if they get a lucky one, they win. You know, it, 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 you, you never know. Anybody can win. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I just think, I think the spectacle side of it, when the names are so big, you know, that people are going to yeah. watch it. But, but on top of that, I think, no matter what, um, you know, fighting kind of mirrors life. You know, the hardships of life in a lot of ways. You know, and uh, when a fighter wins, 
or loses, depending on who you're rooting for or whatever it is, you know, they, you know, it's a lot of people are, are hopeful for people. They're, you know, they're, they're wishing they, they, some people live their dreams through other people. I mean, there's a lot of people that go to watch Michael play and it, it changes their, changes their day, changes their life, you know, puts them in a good mood, uh, right. that sort of thing. And, and so I think sports, combat sports, you know, does the same thing for a lot of people. It's, it, it is what it is, but yeah, it's, it mirrors life a lot. Now you're both obviously are very, uh, it's not the word opinion is not the word. It's more, you're very both outspoken. You're very who you are, but you also attract side or people haters where they're kind of like, Oh, you're bad socks or shut up, Pat, stick to fighting. What do you know about like, what are you talking about in your podcast? So I'm always fascinated with guys like you because you're unapologetically yourself. So how do you, like, what advice do you have for people that are kind of dealing with the, oh, these people hate me? Like, how do you, what, does that feed you guys? Or do you just to the point now where it's so dubbing? What do you think? Go ahead. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, for me, for me, it, it comes down to uh, the, the opinions that I do have on the subjects that I, uh, you know, have opinions on, you know, are going to be very polarizing. That's just the way it is, right. you know, and I, I've never been one to be quiet about things and, it is what it is, you know, and I've, I, again, you know, we talking, uh, I was talking to somebody earlier and I mean, for me, it was kind of a, I think it was a curse and a blessing that I was standing in line in 1971 at the farmer's national bank in Albia, Iowa during the, the rush on the farmer's banks when Nixon took us off the gold standard at three or four in the morning, my mom and grandma got me out of bed early, uh, took, we went into town. We were the first ones in line waiting for those bank doors to open. And my grandma got ninety one thousand dollars in cash out in nineteen seventy one, um, and so, you know, something happened. Something happened, and I was always the kid sitting on the living room floor watching Walter Cronkite and pay attention to the news. And at some point, I went, "This just isn't sitting right with me." What they're saying, man, this isn't this isn't sitting right. And and that just led me to start researching a lot and training law enforcement and military and having a lot of friends in the intelligence world and all that sort of stuff, you know, you, you get to talk to people that know what's really going on. And, and so that's, that's just kind of, so people think that I'm a, a punch drunk fighter, which I may be, but I've also been, um, you know, I've been into geopolitical, geopolitical and domestic policy stuff for literally almost my entire adult life. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, um, I don't share much on that level. I mean, you know me, John, and you know what I think about a lot of stuff. But right. I, I don't really share very much of it just because, well, number one, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't really, I, I, I don't know if, 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 you know, doing what I do is proper form for this. And, and the other thing is, is that I, I don't, I think that a lot of the problems we have now are due to people just sort of you know, kind of flippantly saying things, you know, that, that that's the problem. You know, if, if you have beliefs or knowledge about things, I'm all about sharing that. But the whole hater community and the whole, that whole, uh, what do you call it, phenomenon or whatever, is just based on people just kind of throwing out bullshit. And, and so I, I don't want to be that. And at the same time, I, I don't, I don't know how much of what I know is true. You know, that, that's a, that's a big, a big problem for me because like you're saying, you know, you know, people in, in law enforcement and, and military and intelligence, and I know some people in there too. The more I get to know those people, the less I believe. <laughs> <laughs> How would social media have changed the trajectory or would it have changed? Obviously by say Nickelback and Twitter and all this stuff is crazy back in 2000 or Pat, what you're going through with the welterweight UFC, like, do you think social media would have changed kind of the outlook people have on you guys? Or is this something that you're kind of glad you weren't a part of in terms of kind of like the rise of that? Um, yeah, I, well, let's put it this way, how I feel about social media, even though I do entertain conversations with people on there. Um, I tell my kids, <laughs> <laughs> it's a I great my, Twitter feed. <laughs> I stir the pot on purpose, bro. You know that. So, um, look, people are people are either going to like me or hate me. It doesn't matter. But uh, no, I tell my daughters, my 16 year old and 18 year old, I tell them both. I go, don't leave a digital footprint. Don't you do not want to do that? Not not when the surveillance and stuff that's coming comes down the pipe. You know, you you just don't want that out there. So uh, they, I think they do a pretty good job of not 
not expressing themselves or anything. And, you know, so that, that's a good thing. Yeah, good. And you, Mike, obviously your kids are older now. And so yeah. that's got to be something where you're kind of like toe that fine line between they're actually adults now versus I'm still your father. Yeah, they, they, mine are 17 and 19. And, you know, they, they've, like yours, Pat, have kind of grown up in this world of social media and, and that, that whole thing has kind of grown up with my kids. And I think they're starting to figure out, you know, and, and over the last few years, they're figuring out that, you know, so much of this stuff is, is it's just not real. Like, you know, basically anything you see on your phone isn't real. You really right. have to remember that. You know, this is this is all groomed. This is all curated to, to for you to convince you of something. And, and right. so I think you just you have to teach kids how to be discerning and, 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 and other people, not only just kids, but everybody. Just be careful what you believe, because there's so much stuff out there. You know, so much stuff out there that appeals to so many people that if you're not careful, you can end up believing some pretty wacky shit. No, I hear you. So the part where I'm kind of this discuss part of the discussion where I'm kind of excited is this idea of I've always been someone where like okay, drink your water, stay hydrated, but like I didn't really get down into the the importance of eating healthy and like the if you if you are hurt, there are organic ways of kind of improving your health, whether it's the uh, uh, multivitamin stuff, but. In talking with you, Pat, last time, this product you're part of that I've been trying last week and a half or so is kind of mind-blowing. At what point did you kind of jump into that, hey, I don't want to use what the doctors prescribe me, but there's stuff out there where it's literally from the earth that we can actually use for our own bodies? Well, I mean, you know, for and I, I told you this before, I think, but it's important for people to understand that my – my experience, having been a professional athlete and a coach for a lot of professional fighters and, and a broadcaster, I've been approached for so many years by so many companies um, that I became a label reader and pretty pretty wise to fillers and, and garbage and things like that that I didn't want to put in my body. So uh, many, many years ago at the start of my kickboxing career before I became uh, uh, UFC champ and all that garbage, um, <laughs> I, I basically I got approached by a friend who said, this increases oxygen. And at the time, I knew a little bit about supplementation, but very, very little. And luckily, he was a very good friend. He was a former Mr. Uh, Universe, Mr. America, Dale Ruplinger. And he said, hey, this adds 20% more oxygen at a cellular level. So thereby, you won't build up as much lactic acid in your muscles. And when you, you, know, when you run out of oxygen in your muscles, they start to burn sugar for energy. The byproduct of burnt sugar in your muscles is lactic acid. So... I said, all right, I'll give it a try. And about five days into that product, I was sparring with really high-level pro boxers at the time. And I realized where I would go four rounds and be gassed, absolutely gassed. And because I had a respiratory, I have respiratory damage from black mold growing up in the basement of a house uh, that, that flooded every time it rained. So I, I, I've, just, I've had damaged lungs for forever. Well, all of a sudden, I did 10 rounds, and I wasn't even tired. And I went, what in the hell is going on? This product might be working. So I, en I ended up staying on that product through my kickboxing career, through my entire MMA career, and got all my fighters on it and made them swear to secrecy to never, never let that information out because we were known for our endurance. We could train like madmen, and we could recover, recover, recover. So anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my friend called me, and he told me about this product. And he said it's 45% more oxygen at a cellular level. It's totally plant-based, organic, and they use no chemicals in, in removing the fulvic material from this 60,000-year-old bog mud. And that, the minute he said 45% more oxygen at a cellular level, I went, it's over, man. It is game over. This is going to change everything. World records are going to fall. Uh, this is going to be nuts. Get Yes, I want it, and I want it now. And so my kids' practices totally changed. Uh, 10 days into it without having done any real running for over a year, I did 22 miles on, on Memorial day just to honor the veterans. And I, I said, I'm going to be sore the next day. I'm going to be hurting. Woke up the next day was hardly even sore at 54 years old and went and did a five mile recovery run. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, if the things it's doing, John is I, 
I can't even wrap my head around what this is doing for people's health, um, from, from people with diabetes to cancer to, um, you know, rheumatoid arthritis to athletes to across the gambit, because you're simply putting in your body what you're supposed to have, what we're all supposed to have, but we've eaten food, we've grown food in the same soil for so long that it's void of any real mineral content. So the minerals that you buy on the shelves most of the time are man-made. They're not even real. They're not organic, so your body's not going to absorb them. So that's why this makes such a huge difference is it's organic. So for you, Mike, I know we kind of talked off the record before. uh, Like When you cover your surgery, whether it's pain medication or stuff like Percocets and Coumadins, all that crap I got kind of hooked on back in college – it, where where are you kind of at in terms of if you could do it organically, like you want to go that route, obviously. So if, if there are stuff out there where you're kind of like, maybe I should try this or how do you decide what supplements you kind of put in your body? You know, I, I've just been kind of so far just been going with what works and trying to keep it simple. You know, um, I think, I think if, if you have the, the financial ability and the will, you, you can get out there and try damn near anything. You know, they're, they're, everything's out there for a price. Uh, I just, I think, I think for, for me, it's keeping it simple and, and making sure that what I'm, quiet, cat. Uh, my cat's just being an idiot. Uh, um, <laughs> it, uh, I think if you're, you just have to listen to your body and, and try, you know, try things. I'm willing to try things all the time. Like when you showed me that, that product, I'm like, yeah, shit, I'll try that. And, and if I see a result, you know, like an out, especially an outside, outsized result. Then, then of course I'll I'll continue to use it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll try anything. See, you know, try it. And then when I so I started about ten. Though tomorrow will be the tenth day. And it's twice a day. I do like the quarter of a teaspoon or whatever. The it, yeah, half they, a teaspoon. Half a teaspoon twice a day. And the first two days, I'm kind of like, man, there's like this weird, this talky kind of like talky kind of taste. I'm like, whatever. But as I, I do it now, like my, it's almost like as soon as I drink it, like a half hour, hour later, I feel like I've, I'm able to maintain kind of what I was leading up to that before I had to drink it. And it's like this weird kind of my sleep pattern feels amazing, but I just feel like I, I haven't drank any energy drinks. So when I started this, I wanted to see if I would still need energy, like, like that superficial bullshit to kind of whatever. But I feel like I've just maintained kind of like the steady – I just feel great. Now, I haven't gone any runs per se, but the mental aspect of just drinking that twice a day and measuring it out, like there's something very therapeutic about it. That's good. No, it's – you start start pushing your workouts. Trust me. Start pushing your workouts. And the reason it works so well is it's, it's number one, again, organic and plant-based. Can you tell me more, Pat, about what this stuff is? Yeah. So – By soul. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine uh, up in Canada who's been, he, he, they call him the mud man. He's, he knows more about mud than any human on the planet, right? So he owns, he owns bogs in Canada, swamps. He buys swampland. And so he figured out a way because fulvic and vulvic minerals and acid normally come from inorganic sources like volcanic rock, volcanic ash, things like that, right? So they have to use harsh chemicals to get the fulvic and vulvic material out of those rocks. Well, this is organic to begin with. It is 2,000 types of uh, decomposing plants that have decomposed for 60,000 years. So this stuff has been there forever. So he takes it and doesn't use a chemical process. He uses a CO2 uh, pressurized process and a freeze-drying process to basically... Um, get get the, the 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 real nutrients of this mud into a powder form in these bags, and they've got they've got other stuff too that's just all fulvic material. It's one product, but anyway, so it's nanonite in size, so it can travel in and out of the cell walls, and as it goes into the cell, it delivers oxygen and nutrients. It's got sixty times its carrying weight to do that, and then it's got sixty times its carrying weight to remove heavy metals, toxins and even viruses from your cells. Now, I had a doctor confront me about that, that statement about viruses, and he goes, you can't make statements like that. I said, I absolutely can. There's documented research on this product. And so I said, go, go read the research. The doctor went and read the research. He said, I stand corrected. You're right. So, um, on its, and, and then it activates the mitochondria, which is the furnace of the cell. 
So it gives you steady energy. And I, I think I probably said this to you last time, John. I talk like this all day long. Like I literally can talk like this all day long to people. And I just, I have no, I have no reservation about telling people about it because I know what it does. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I've had more damage to my body. I've, I've injured every joint on my body, my spine, uh, numerous times. And I just, rel- I just don't, I don't wake up with aches and pains. I, I can breathe perfectly. I feel like I'm breathing through a, a giant piece of PVC now instead of through a tiny straw. Um, so it's just, it's literally changed my health. And, you know, it, I have to say this, I have to say it every time I do any kind of these videos is we do not treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or sicknesses. I have to say that. Um, but my brother, my brother was diagnosed with stage four mantle cell lymphoma, a very aggressive form of cancer, uh, at the very end of June came to my house, July 4th. and was so jaundiced and skinny, um, weighing 169 pounds at six foot five, um, that he looked like he was, he was dead within a month. He was, he was in trouble and I got him on this product and his blood work came back in three months time. Now the doctors, now he's gone and done a couple, two chemo treatments as well. Um, but there's zero trace of any cancer in his blood anywhere. And long before he started chemo, his blood work, his white blood cell count was off the charts at 70.5, which meant he had massive infection in his body. After three weeks on the product, his blood work came back at 2.5. His red blood cell count was at, I think, 85, he said. And now, now it's up in the perfectly normal range. 13 to 14 chemicals in his body were completely out of whack. Now they're all in the perfect range. Um, it's, it, literally, it literally, I mean, I sit there and I say to myself, um, potentially I saved my brother's life and that what, what the hell more could you give to somebody? Right. You know, then, so again, what I'm saying is, is this coming from a bog from mud? This is what, this is what our bodies are supposed to have in them. That's why the human condition is so destroyed right now is because we don't get anything from the soil anymore. We've grown food there so long that it sucked right. it all out of it. Right. So, you know, that's the thing is why people are going, Oh my God, this is, People with COPD, people with asthma, people with diabetes, um, athletes, like I said, all across the board, I get testimonials back every day and people are going, this is, this is absolutely insane. What the hell is this stuff? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Mike, are you still vegan? Uh, no, I'm just vegetarian. I, I, I actually I moved past vegetarianism too. I'm eating the fishes now. Okay. A pescatarian, I guess you call that. Because I remember, I'm not sure where we were, but you would start doing it, and then your vegan guitar or bass straps would come in. Yeah. And I'm like, man, this is actually a true vegan. Like, you're not one of those, I don't eat steak, but I'll wear a leather belt. Well, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, I've kind of backed off on all that um, to a degree. I mean, I'm still using the vegan straps, but that's easy. Um, the best shoes are still made out of leather, unfortunately, you know, uh, there, there's certain things that are just, they're just going to be, but, um, frankly, it's, it's as simple as animal welfare for me. You know how I feel about all that shit. John. Yep. We, we hung out with the sea shepherd people together. <clears throat> I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't not eat meat because I don't like it or because I think there's anything wrong with it. I don't eat meat because the only way I would eat it is if I kill it. And I just don't hunt now. You know, I just, I'm just not hunting. Whereas that, that could all change. And, and then maybe, you know, maybe one day or, or maybe I'll learn how to field harvest cattle. I don't know. But that, that's the only way I would go about doing it. Just because the, the system that we, that brings us our, our meat now is, is just horrible. Horrible. Yeah. 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 Fascinating stuff. Yeah. I'm always kind of, I, I don't feel bad for people. They're like, well, I'm losing, I'm heavy or I, I'm tired all the time. Well, there are stuff up there you could do perfectly free. And the fact that people don't even do that type of stuff, it makes me kind of feel like this sense of anger, kind of like, man, I can't, I can't even spend time feeling bad for you because you're not even putting the time in yourself. Right, right, right. And, that, and that's so what my, we all have to do. Yeah, we all have to look after our vehicle. You know? Right. It, 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 this is this is this is what we're in charge of here. So you know, keeping it healthy and strong, and and um, and, and taking care of it is is that that's. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't, but so many people don't. Right. 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 So Michael, you'll have to get me uh, your address and I'll have some, some, uh, some black oxygen sent out to you. Oh, awesome. That'd be, I'd love to check this out. Might yeah. be part of my, uh, part of uh, speeding up my healing process. 
Uh, it's it, it. I think it will help, my friend. <laughs> yeah, when you mix it, though, it lo literally looks like a black soul, just in liquid form, where it's just like, what is this, Halloween? It's, it's very, uh, it, it does look off-putting, um, but I actually kind of buy the, I actually like the taste now. Well, well, once you feel is, once you feel the effects, yeah. Right. Is this uh, is this a person who who's kind of uh, harnessed this thing? I used to use a product in Canada when I lived back when I lived in Canada. I used to use a product, but it was a it was a mud soak. Like they had a, I had a product that was mixed with pine and a bunch of other stuff and this bog mud stuff. Yep, that's that, soaking that. Now like that. now he he figured out a way to make it so that you can put it in your body instead of on your body. So it heals. So you can put this powder in your tub if you want, and it'll soak in through your skin to heal as well. Uh -huh. But you can put it in your body and heal from the inside out. Cool. Cool. So you, yeah. you reckon that's the same guy? Uh, his name is Mark St. Onge. He lives yeah, in Quebec. I don't, I don't know the name. I don't know the name. It's been many years, but I remember using that, that product and I can't get it down here. Anyway. Yeah. Well, they, he, he started out uh, packaging mud in his garage and shipping it out. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So how does someone, and I love that we're talking about this mud. How does someone like that kind of find out about that? Now, is this person doing research like you are, Pat or Mike? Like, how do you, how do you fall upon this stuff where it's like, yeah, good question, John. Well, he, he, um, you know, he's been in the mud business for 30 years. He knew about the European spas, the mud baths, all that okay. for 30 years. And so he just, he had to put his mind to it because companies were using chemicals to suck uh, the fulvic and vulvic material out of rocks and this and that. And he said, if I can just figure out a way to have no chemicals in this process, I'm going to change people's lives. I, I will literally change people's lives. And so he finally figured it out. And I, I honestly think he should be nominated for a Nobel Prize. That's how powerful this is. That's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But the, we could hit on Big Pharma, too, because you would think there is a trepidation on their part where they don't want this kind of get out, out, because now you're kind of taking away from all this chemically enhanced stuff that they want to prescribe to us. John, we do not treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or sicknesses. <laughs> that's all I – I just have to keep repeating that, buddy. I just have to keep repeating that, and that's, you know, that's the main thing. Hey, look, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people who are going to continue to take pharmaceutical products. They are going to. Uh, they, they will never have their minds changed, and I'm okay with that. That's their life. They must live their life the way they want. I, I choose to go a different route, and I – I swore to myself that I would I would go to the grave having never been on pharmaceutical products. Yep. Good. No, I love that. Yeah, I remember back in college when I broke my hand and collarbone playing lacrosse. They gave me like these Percocets or maybe Coumadins, but they're like, we'll take two a day. But they gave me like literally 30 days worth. And for like the first week, I was like, man, this feels great. And I started taking them. And then I went through that whole pack probably within two weeks just because that fault, fake sense of whatever. Yeah. And when you go back in the check, like, well, do you want more? Like my buddy at the time was like, man, I don't know. Like my roommate, he's like, I don't know if you should really like, let's, I don't know if you need it. Like, you don't look like you're actually paid. I think you're just taking it just because you can. And it makes you feel like this false sense of whatever. Just fascinating you, stuff. You're, you're taking Coumadin? Coumadin? Or, uh, Coumadin. Uh, well, I don't know if it, it was Percocet. I think it began with a, I think it began with a C too. Oh, okay, okay. Some sort of some blood thinner. So I was like some thinking, some sort of oxycotton though. Yes. Oh yeah, like oxycotton Percocet. One of those. Yeah. Oh okay. Oh I see. I understand. Yeah yeah. Pain pain like opioid some kind of. Yeah, opioid. but it was, it's just crazy how like just take this you'll be fine. And it's like I feel fine, but what happens when I'm off of it and I still miss that rush of that false sense sort of being super healthy. Yeah. 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 Straight from the poppy fields of Afghanistan. Yeah, I love it. Daisy cutter. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys for this. This was a blast. Um, I, uh, I do appreciate it. And it's cool kind of talking about stuff that subject matter that I really don't know much about. But you two, obviously. And the fact that we can learn about different stuff, it's just been awesome. So I can't thank you guys enough. No, thank it's been guys. my honor and pleasure to meet you, Michael. This is awesome. Yeah, nice to meet you, Pat. We should do a uh, – 
a thing where well, Mike and I can, but once we start doing, we'll pick a day to start the the uh, bud, whatever, and uh, we'll kind of like every week or so kind of see what we're doing. Like, how do you keep track of that, Pat? Like, how do I? If I want, I can run an extra mile. I can run extra two miles. Like, how do you track? Uh, track your heart rate. Track your speed. Your per mile time and your distance. And my base playing. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. I, I want so your neck probably got screwed up from that strap for so many years, huh? It, it, it could be part of that. It could be genetic. It, you know, it could be other things that I've done, you know, whatever. Snowboard crashes. I don't know. It, 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 any <laughs> right. any number of things it could be for sure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, well thank you guys. All thank right. You. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Stay in Okay, touch. have a great day. Thanks, guys. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.